We are thankful that you indeed are our God, and we're thankful that we are your children. We confess that the philosophies and ideologies of this world often pull and tug at us, and so may you keep us centered on you. May you be our vision. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Twenty-five or so years ago, maybe three years into my ministry here, I heard a pastor at a conference uh, speak, and we went to visit his church down in the States. And when I was there with some friends, a group of colleagues, I heard him give a sermon on why they existed. And at that point in time, I, I'd never heard a sermon like that, never in my life had I heard a sermon on why the church existed unless they were preaching through Acts 2 or something. Like, why does this specific church exist? And at that moment, I realized it was something that was missing from a lot of preaching and teaching, explaining to people why we exist. We're in a new day. Um, back then, I would say most people would shift churches because of, doc, uh, because of sorry, uh, philosophy of ministry. Doctrine for many churches, if you surveyed most of the churches in Hamilton at that time, except for some liberal ones, very similar in what we believed across denominational. But we're in a new day now where people are shifting more over doctrine than even over philosophy, though philosophy still has something to do with it. So sometimes for four weeks or five weeks in September, sometimes a couple of weeks in January, sometimes for two weeks, we always talk about why we exist as James North, why we're here. And there's five core values that guide us, celebrate, grow, serve, care, and share. Uh, and normally I take this and I, and I teach through it. This year I'm teaching this week and Derek is teaching next week. And we're doing that because West Highland had asked me to come to do their 50th anniversary service on the 25th. But the 25th is our 135th anniversary. So I said I couldn't come. So they said, we'll flip dates so you can come. So I'm going next week to West Highland to preach at their 50th anniversary service. They're one of our supporting churches. I'm good friends with John, their pastor, as good friends with their previous pastor, Derek Bartlett, as well. And so I'm so excited to go up and to preach a message for them next Sunday on the resurrection uh, for their anniversary service. And so this week, I'm going to talk about celebrate, grow, and serve. And next week, Derek is going to talk about care and share as part of the core values of our church. But when people are looking for a church, there's all kinds of things when I'm talking to people that kind of hit the list. Right? So sometimes when people are looking for a church, they talk about nursery and children's ministry. Sometimes when people are looking for a church, they talk about how the worship makes them feel. Sometimes when people are looking for a church, they might talk about the teaching. And sometimes as people are looking for a church, they might talk about facilities or parking. Uh, I know we don't have that. Sometimes when people are looking for a church, they'll, all kinds of stuff will come up. And, and can I suggest that two of the most important things that should be there are how am I going to grow in my faith in this place and how am I going to serve in this place? How am I going to grow in my faith and how am I going to serve? Now that might strike you as odd, but as God's people, we're called to serve. We're called to serve as Christ served, right? We're called to grow in our faith together. We're called to invest in each other's lives and help each other become more like Christ. And we're actually called to serve. It's one of the things God calls us to do. And often because of the isms of life, Right? You name them narcissism, where I think I'm king, I'm in charge, there's no one greater than me, no one better than me, everything should revolve around me. If you want to read a great book on that, people have read, a lot of people read Gene Twinge's book, The uh, I Generation, which is a brilliant book on how a generation growing up not knowing 
what it's like to ha- not have a device in their hands has affected them. Brilliantly written book. She's a sociologist out of the States. Before that, she wrote a book called uh, The Narcissistic Epidemic. It's brilliantly written. Great book. Um, just uh, not a believer, just as to how this narcissism day where we think everything revolves around us. I mean, if you don't believe that's true, how often do you complain? How often do you complain about other people? How often do you complain about meals? How often do you complain about whatever it is? You just name it in your life, your boss, your life. How often do you complain? I mean, God says we're to do all things without complaint or argument. All things in the book of Philippians. And so you know how narcissistic you are, how self-absorbed you are by how much you complain. Secondly, another ism, so narcissism is one. A second one that affects us is, is materialism where we think everything's always got to be the biggest and the best. And so we come into a facility and we think the same thing. Where's all the nice shiny stuff? It should be the biggest and the best. I should have the biggest and the best, and everything around me should be the biggest and the best. And so it affects us, and it affects the way we think of church. Narcissism does because we think it's all about what people do for me. Do you know when you read the Bible, especially if you, if you start through Acts and go through Revelation, Never, ever, 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 ever do you find verses ever, ever in that portion of Scripture about what other people should be doing for you. Ever. It's all about what you should be doing for other people. But the ideology of the world has so convinced us that the other is true that it infiltrates the way we think as Christians and we're not growing in our Christ-likeness. It's the same with materialism. We think it's all about what we own, what we have, what we have to have, what new thing, shiny. You know, do we have the best of whatever? And then I could move from there to consumerism, where it's all about my needs, what I want, where I'm at. This summer when I was speaking at one of the events I was at, somebody came up to me and they were leaving their church and I asked why, and they, and they said, well, no one there serves me. Yeah, that's, that's what they said. Like, like, no, no one there serves me. And I said, oh, well, I said, just for a minute, before we dive into this, tell me who at the church you're leaving have you been serving? Who at the church you're leaving? And he said, there's no one there I would serve because they haven't served me. And I said, well, I said, the problem right now might be with your heart. And I don't even know if you're saved because of the way you're talking to me. Because I can't see this anywhere in the Bible. If you're looking for a church where you can be served, I highly doubt whether you even know the Lord. Highly doubt whether he's even your Savior and Lord. And so as a church, as we gather, I want to be mindful that these isms affect us. Whether it's narcissism, whether it's materialism, whether it's consumerism, I could name many more. There's tons of them out there. And they affect us and they begin to infiltrate the way we think instead of the word of God by his spirit taking our lives and refining them. So our mission statement is simple. It's not on the screen. I didn't put it up earlier. The other verses will be on. It simply says, as a church anchored in the north end of Hamilton, we exist to join God as his spirit builds Christ's kingdom into our lives, neighborhoods, and city. So we believe we exist. We we purposely, when we were running out of room at the other building and renting space and praying about what is next, We could have bought a lot more land in the suburbs for the price we paid for this. We could have bought a lot more land and built a building and had a lot more parking. But we were committed to here. 
We'd been in neighborhood church. We, we've been in this neighborhood. If you, on our 135th anniversary, if you wanted to go stand over on the corner of the street over here at, this is Picton uh, and Houston, and look, you can literally see the three properties, if you go out in the field, that God has granted us in the 135 years of our existence. We've never moved larger than a block, like a small city block. God has kept us here purposely and intentionally. And so we serve this neighborhood. We've served this neighborhood for a long time. The neighborhood's transitioning. We know that. A whole bunch of condos are about to be built along the, along the water. The boarded up buildings you see over here on James are about to be rebuilt. We know that. Other properties are being torn down to be rebuilt. There's three other large condo developments that are going to start this year down here in the north end. And we believe God has called us here to reach people here. We're anchored here. It's where our ministries happen. It's where coffee's on in the hub and youth ministry and children's ministries happen. But we recognize as house values have gone up and the neighborhoods change that we also um, are being used of God across the lower city. And so as God is doing that, we understand that God firstly wants to build Christ's kingdom in our lives as we grow in our faith, in our neighborhoods where God has placed each of us, whether we're a student or a family living somewhere in one of the neighborhoods, individual living there, and in our city at large, and in our city at large. And so one of the things that was important to us when we wrote this statement is that it be Trinitarian. So we join God as his spirit builds Christ's kingdom. Because many statements aren't. They, they focus on Christ, which is great. Christ, of course, is important. But we're Trinitarian. We believe in a triune God. And so to us, it was critical that we celebrate a triune God. So today I want to walk you now through our first three, celebrate, grow, and serve. So we celebrate God. These are some verses found in our membership covenant. Uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm, Isaiah 40.26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He, he who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. God created. Is that not good news? God wasn't lonely. God just in his ingenious creativity called things into being. He is a creator. And I know many of you go to schools or you're in work environments where you're taught God didn't do it. You're taught that the universe either self-created. I mean, I, I gave you a long quote in the summer from one of the TED Talks I've been listening to, uh, scientists down in the States who now espouses lots of followers around the multiverse theory, right? And basically his explanation for the universe is something had to exist. So after he makes fun of the possibility of God, God creating the universe, then he kind of just tackles other things like Big Bang. He said something has to exist. This simply is what exists. That's the explanation. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Your explanation for our existence is that something had to exist. This is here. It's what exists. So that is why it is here. That's, that's it. You've got nothing else. And he had nothing else. Nothing. I've dug into some of his other writings and readings. But millions and millions and millions of followers. God did it. God spoke the universe into existence by his might and will. Ingeniously, he did it. Amy and I and, and uh, Jill and Ivy and some of Amy's family, we drove out to the East Coast and back, and we rented a cottage this summer in Halifax, just outside of it, on the ocean, and the sunsets were spectacular. God did that. Looking over the ocean, my mother-in-law was like, I could just live here. It was stunning. 
It was stunning. When we got to the Appalachians, I began to explain to the kids where we were. I, I first started as a quiz in the car. Does anybody know where we are, what mountains these are? And somebody threw out Rocky. I said, wrong part of Canada. Somebody said Canadian Shield. I'm like, wow, we don't know our geography. Um, next, Appalachians, right? And I'm like, here we are, Appalachians. I'm not going to say who said what because it might embarrass some people. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and, and enjoying God's creation, enjoying that he made he told the sea how far it could go, the land where it could be. We celebrate God. The stars, the stars. As I looked out on some of the clear nights over the ocean at the magnificence of God's creation and the brilliance of the stars in the sky, stunning. And God did that. God did that. We celebrate God because he's freed us from the power and curse of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 to 4. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son and the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. God saves. Is that not great news? God saves. Today, if you're a Christian, it's because God has saved you. Today, if you're a Christian, it's because God has gripped your heart. He loves to save. Though we rebelled, though in his created order, we chose to rebel against him, he sent his son. Why? Well, because humanity sinned, humanity had to die. Humanity had to be punished. And no one could absorb the punishment that God would grant. No one. So Jesus, the second person of the triune God, said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll both come and incarnate myself, fully human, but be fully God, fully God, and die on their behalf. I'll take their place. That's what Jesus has done. It's the greatest news ever. You see, sometimes you wonder, why wasn't there another way? There couldn't be. Someone had to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus said, I'll do that. I'll be the perfect sacrifice. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law. You've heard me say this before in two ways. One, he completely kept it. Two, everything about the Messiah was found in him. And in doing so perfectly, in having never sinned, he gave his life up for us as the Father, or the wrath of the Father is poured out on him on the cross. And anyone, anywhere, anytime who believes in him becomes a child of the living God. It's great news. And then here's what's even better news. There's now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Is that not good news? There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. One day when you stand before the Father in judgment, and all of us, every human being, will stand before the Father in judgment. On that day, the reason we will be let in is because God treated Christ the way we deserved on the cross so that God could treat us the way Christ deserves in judgment. When he sees us on that judgment day, he will only see his son. That's why there's no condemnation. He has perfectly saved us. And we celebrate him. Do you wake up in the morning and say, I'm thankful I'm a child of God. I'm thankful he saved me. 
He's gloriously gripped my heart. His spirit is in me. I am his. Every day we should wake up celebrating that we're the children of the living God. And so we gather to celebrate him. God, for God so loved this world that he gave his only son. And then Matthew 13, verse 44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought that field. You see, you recognize as you grow as a Christian that what God offers is greater than anything you could ever own or have. Do you believe that? What God offers is greater than anything you own or have. Do you believe that at work when people at lunch are mocking our God? Do you believe that at school when professors are teaching things that are anti-Christian? Do you believe that when you're engaged with your neighbors and there's battle or dispute over religion or belief. He's worth more than anything. He's worth more than anything. And then he allows us to group in clusters. There's Church Universal, but there's these clusters of local congregations. A whole bunch of in Hamilton. I mean, Friday alone, I was up at Redeemer uh, for a couple of hours. And, and I met with a group of eight, uh, seven other pastors. Eight of us met for lunch from around the city. Right? As we're forming this new group that we're going to have this concert of prayer. Uh, I mean, we've been formed for a couple of years. But, but, but now as we're moving forward uh, in this, a lot of it was around pastoral fellowship. Now we're moving forward in this. And, and we're going to really focus on gra- gathering some of our congregations together too. So this concert of prayer at West Highland on the, on the 25th. And, and God grants these clusters to gather across our city. And, and across our nation. And across the world. But in each cluster, he gifts. In each cluster, he wants us to grow. Listen to this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of every one of you has for each other is increasing. Is that not a great line? Your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Is that true of you with other believers? You're growing more and more with each other, and the love you have for each other is increasing. The love you have for each other is only growing in greater abundance. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. If you look at our membership covenant, you'll see we have many other verses about this. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for God who promised is faithful. And consider, the idea of that term is to contemplate, think about it. How you could spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Spurring one on is intentionally causing one to move forward. And the spur is what the cowboys would use in their boots into the horse to get the horse to gallop. Or to run, or to run more quickly. That's the idea. Put your spurs on, and if you need to, spur your brother or sister so that they grow in their Christ-likeness. Now, I don't want anyone showing up with spurs next week on their boots, right? And I don't want to see you use them on someone. But figuratively speaking, that's the idea here. Spur each other on. And toward what? Toward love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. Verse 25, our summer in the habit of doing. It's a play on words there. 
Let's not give up meeting together. Don't give up the habit of being together as some are in the habit of doing. He's saying some people are more habiting not being together than they are being together. And he says, I want you to continue to meet together and encourage each other and what? And all the more as you see the day approaching as the day of Christ comes. Encourage each other. Place courage into someone. And more and more as you see the day approaching. And so this week, we sent out an email saying, hey, we got a whole bunch of community groups where people can participate in. There are groups of eight to ten people that gather and pray, study scripture, hold each other to account, and are invested in each other's lives. We also have this thing called covenant groups. Now, covenant groups are a bit more complicated because you form them, we don't. Typically of three or four men or women, we got some information on the table at the back, where they find a couple of friends and they say, we're going to journey with each other, right? Some, some people do it really early in the morning. Some people do it later at night. We've got some guidelines to help you. You can talk to one of the pastoral staff or elders about it. But, but these people gather out of friendships formed, maybe out of a community group, maybe out of the men's ministry or men, women's ministry, maybe out of a ministry team like the praise team we saw this morning. And three or four men or three or four m- women begin to gather and just meet. We've had some groups meet for years. You've heard us interview some of them before, and they'll ebb and flow, but we're thankful for them. And then we have a couple of classes. There's a women's group running this year as a class. I'm going to run uh, after Thanksgiving, because the next few weeks are kind of 135th anniversary. Rick Reed's coming to preach, and uh, Thanksgiving. I'm going to do a five-week series on spiritual warfare, angelology, demonology. I'm going to talk about the armor of God, Christ's final victory. What does this look like? Um, and in the evenings, on Sunday nights, I'm going to lead a class on spiritual warfare. Got a couple of guests to come into that class. But, but we do this so that you can grow in your faith. We do this so that we can connect with each other. And some of us learn better in a class-like setting, and other of us learn better in a small group setting. But we want everyone in our church unapologetically to participate. I know we all go through seasons. Even as I sent out emails this, this last week, a couple of the leaders that have that have generally led community groups or even hosts have said, hey, Dwayne, we'd love to do this. Got three of these, right? Love to do this. Just not the right season right now. We all have the, those moments in life, right? But we're hoping for January, right? Some of it because of newborn, family transition, whole bunch of stuff, right? But, but these are people aren't saying, I'll never do it. They're saying, man, it won't work right now in September. Hoping we can do it in January. Something I'm passionate about, something I love to do. This isn't the right season, but we can't wait to jump into the season again. But when you think of the world around us, right, who thinks you're a fool for believing God exists, who thinks that your views on gender and sexuality aren't just archaic anymore, but are dangerous, who believes that what you think about the Bible is harmful and that children's age should get involved, you know this, right? Because this is what you're teaching your children. Hasn't happened to that extent yet. I, I'm not going to be surprised in the next few years if this is what's occurring. We need each other, don't we? We need other believers in our lives as we study the word together to dig into what God has said and to remain faithful and true to his word granted to us. We simply need each other. Some of you who are here will do that on campus. And I'm thankful for that. And you'll engage in a campus group there, and you'll plug in, and you'll be involved in that capacity as well. But we, I mean this. If you're sticking around here this year, we want you to be a part of a group. 
whether it's here or there, we want you to be part of something. A community group, a class, a covenant group, where you're intentionally invested in others' lives. And then this morning, thirdly, serve. I want you to hear this. This is Hebrews 9. I read this at our last prayer gathering because so often we miss this. This is all over Scripture. So the book of Hebrews is Christ is greater, right? Christ is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. So greater than the angels. Moses was known as the greatest prophet, greater than the prophets, right? Greater than Melchizedek, known to be the greatest priest, greater than the great high priest. So the book of Hebrews, the whole argument is Christ is greater than. And then we come to Hebrews 9 and 10 where it talks about his accomplished work. And in chapter 9, verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. So it says all, all when we came to the temple, all we could do with the blood of the bulls and heifers sprinkled on us was make us outwardly clean so we could enter into God's presence. If that was true, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished, perfect sacrifice to God, how much more will that cleanse our conscience from the sin, uh, from acts that lead to death? He, he says if, if, if the blood of the bull and the heifer was able to make you clean enough to enter into God's presence in the temple, how much more will the unblemished, accomplished work of Christ cleanse you from any act of sin? It's beautiful what he's saying here. And then what does he say to end it? From acts that lead to death, so you can what? Really clear. Serve the living God. So you can serve the living God. Our life is to be given over to service. Our life is to be given over to others in service. Jesus and his disciples have gathered in a place. Their feet are filthy. Walking in the Middle Eastern sand and dirt. The meal has started and no one is there to wash anyone's feet. Jesus gets up, takes off his outer cloak and wraps it around himself and begins to wash all the disciples' feet. At the end of that, in the whole, uh, um, you know, kind of conversation with Peter, he says, now that I have done this for you, he says something really surprising. We know it, so we, we get it. But he doesn't say, do it for me. See, if, if, in, if in that moment he said, do it for me, everyone would have jumped up and said, I'll wash his feet. He said, now that I've done it for you, do it for each other. How do you serve the living God? By doing this for each other by investing in each other's lives, by walking alongside of each other, by coming alongside of other people, by caring for them in Jesus' name. That's how you do it. God has saved you so you can serve others. And so many of us look for how we can be served, how people can come alongside of us. And I understand there are seasons where all of us need service, but God calls all of us to serve, all of us to serve, each of us. Sometimes it's individually in the way that we serve God through our family, or through our work, or through our neighborhood, or even in our church. But often it's together even in ministries like the Hub or Coffee's On, children ministry, youth ministry. I mean, this fall we're going to baptize another young man who's come from a Buddhist home that God has saved. Don't miss it. Don't miss what God's doing. Don't miss, on, on Tuesday nights when you walk in this room, there's 25 to 30 guys in here playing ball. And they're almost entirely from Buddhist and Muslim backgrounds. Man, by the end of this year, God, would you save them all? God, would you open up hearts and lives? God, would you touch people? Would you allow your spirit to just freely reign? And would you grip the hearts of people that are there as we come and serve God? 
As 60 kids come to Kids Zone, a number of them from the Karen community, the, 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 the families from Burma that were displaced by the genocide that the government was doing. And they're struggling still to find their way. And a number from the community, a number from our families, we have the chance to invest in their lives. We have the chance to invest in the lives of people who live with us, who've, who've moved into this building because they were displaced and had nowhere to live or needed affordable, supportive housing. People that come in from all over from the harbor, coffee's on because they need a meal or they need some food. We, we have the chance to invest in their lives in Jesus' name and we serve the living God by doing so. Now, some of us aren't as you know, adept to that kind of upfront ministry and we're gonna serve behind the scenes. We're gonna help, I mean, the video that was up this morning, someone's gotta make videos like that. They don't just happen, and I can't do it. Somebody counts as tellers. Now, we don't do a lot of that anymore because almost everyone e-transfers, but, but so it all happens kind of automatically. But, you know, for the one check we get a week, someone's gotta count it. It makes it quite easy when there's one a week, right? Sometimes there's none. Right? Oh, yeah, sometimes there's none. And yet God has provided faithfully and, and abundantly. But there's all kinds of stuff that goes on behind the scenes up front, and, and God just wants us to do this together. And you do it two ways. With the gifts God's given you, God's given you a spiritual gift. If you're saved, you have a spiritual gift. And God wants to, you to use it to enrich the body around you. And then he also does it with the finances he gives us. It's one of the ways we serve him. He, he's pleased to do that. Listen to this. It, it's found in... Uh, Matthew 6. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's that mean? Where, where we spend our treasure is a big indication of our heart. Most of us over the summer, not all of us had income. Do we honor God with that income? The, the Bible doesn't say you honor God when you're at my stage of life. You're 50 years old and, you know, you got four kids and, and family figuring stuff out. The Bible says you honor him with the wealth he's granted you when you're what? Saved. But people come to me and say, you know, I'll do, be premarital with people. And be, well, Dwayne, we'll do this after we're married. Wedding's expensive. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that must be in the book of Ezekiel. Honor God with your wealth after you're married. No, it's not. Well, Dwayne, after student life. Like, whew, student life. No, that, again, God doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, that you honor God after you get a real job. He says, if you have income of any kind, you use it to honor him. He says it's the first thing you should do with it. That's why he talks about it being the first fruits. So if I could take your credit card statements from the summer or your debit card statements, and I could put them up here today. I don't have them, just so you know. I have no access to them, all right? But if I could just put them up here today, what would it say about your treasure and your heart? What would it say about your heart? Because where your treasure is, where you've spent the money you have, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. Would it say kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God? Or would it say me, 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 me? Where your treasure is, there's your heart. So we serve God with our time and with the resources that he's, he's granted us. Now, sometimes it's complicated because we'll have different passions. And sometimes in those different passions, people will come to us and say, Dwayne, what about this? What about the pro-life movement? Man, you know I speak about this. I'm, I'm passionate about pro-life. 
passionate and happy to address that with people, happy to think through what it looks like that, that life begins at conception. There's both theological and, I believe, biological reasons for that. Um, the biological ones I more give when I sit on health center boards and boards across our city and end up in dialogue on this issue, which has been a great deal of dialogue over the last few months. Theological ones I'll, I'll give to Christians, but they'll come to me and say, you know, what, what do you think about this? I'll say, hey, here's what you need to think about. Are there four or five people in our church, different families and units that are willing to gather together and kind of make a three-year commitment to something like this? Because it's not something we're doing now and we do a lot. But sometimes as we pray through these things, there's things that we just rejoice in. So some people have come to me about, what about safe families? When safe families was coming to Hamilton, they asked if they could house themselves here. And I talked to the elders and we said, we're, we're just, we have so much going on. We're going to pray that you find a church that doesn't have so much going on. We have housing, we have the hub, we have coffees on, we have Muslim and, and Buddhist students coming to youth. We have all these kids coming to the, the, our children's ministry. We look after a whole congregation with the Koran. Like we just sponsor a whole congregation and help one of their men who had, who had lived for the first 35 years of his life with no running water, no sanitation, no electricity, and had never read a book before in his life. We got him into heritage. He's finished over his first year. Close is just awesome. He's 49 years old. And, and what has happened in that congregation because he's learning how to preach and teach has been remarkable. We just cover all that. They're contributing something to it. And so sometimes I say, man, we just can't add more. And so at this meeting on Friday, it was the same with international students. Could we get involved more and more in international student ministry? I'm like, man, I don't, I don't, we, don't, we, we don't have the energy or space to do this right now. But on Friday, as I met, and I'm sitting there with Grace Valley, Paul Vanderbrink, their, their pastor, and they've brought safe families in. They're talking about the blessing has been to their church, and it's granted their church a mission to go out. And I'm like, praise the Lord, because we don't have to do everything in the city. As I'm sitting there, and Bill DeYoung from Blessings is talking about how they're now engaged with international students and what that looks like and the meals they're having, and he's praying for those students to come to faith and grace. I'm like, praise the Lord. Because we can't do it all. And so part of it is you might have some passions, things that you're excited about and say, man, it's not a good fit for me here. We're connected to other churches where they're doing some of that stuff. We'd love to say, we're happy to release you to serve there. And you might still choose to worship here because both of those uh, uh, churches are Pado baptist and we're not. I know some of you in the room coming from Redeemer are Pado baptist Some of you are like, what does that mean? It means you were baptized as an infant and not biblically. But um, I'm just throwing it out there. It's fine. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm fine. Listen, Mike Goheed, a former uh, Redeemer professor, he and I, he's like, Dwayne, can we debate Pato and Believer Baptism? Sure. So we're going to do it at the old church. This is years ago, like 23 years ago. Like, would love to do it. I show up at my old church 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He's announced it at Redeemer. I have no clue he's announced at Redeemer. That place held 140 people, and I think my church is coming, and 200 people are there. We're like, it's just jammed. And I'm like, what did you do? He said, I said it out loud. Uh, it was great. And then he said, can we do it at my church? I'm like, sure. And it held more, first CRC. And then he said, can we do it at Redeemer? I'm like, I'm all in. So in the chapel at Redeemer, jammed. Like so many people jammed. People sitting in the stairwells. Mike and I went back and forth on, on, on pedo baptism and believer baptism. I, I won. And um, <laughs> because God wins. And... Um, uh, but these are brothers of mine. I'm joking right now. We, we love each other. Uh, in fact, John Mahaffey and I joke about this a lot because there's two of us that are believer baptism at these meetings. There's six that are pedo baptism. We're way outnumbered. Um, and, and one day they'll see the light. So as, as, as we gather, 
we celebrate that these great churches that are gospel-centered are serving in these, these capacities. And some of the ministries that we couldn't dive into, some of the ministries that we didn't have time for, God's brought them to these other places. And we celebrate that together. We just sat rejoicing as a group of pastors on, on Friday. And as part of the concert of prayer, John said to me, when we all gathered, Dwayne, I want you to lead a section of praise at the, at the, at the praise gathering, uh, John Mahaffey, where we just celebrate what God is doing in each of our ministries. He's a great God. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. Paul and I were talking about just a little while ago how in our ministries, my 28 years almost of ministries and his 40 something, 40 years, 40 years of ministry. 41? Close enough. We're right there. That in the last season of what we've seen God do of, of saving like 18 young men and women from the Kren Church and, and, and who are all walking away from the Lord and seeing a number of these young Buddhists come to faith in Christ, of seeing the integration of our young adult ministry of, of, of the Karen and people that have grown up in our church and Redeemer students and McMaster students and watching God work in lives of people that are coming for the hub and coffees on, providing for this building. We owe less than a million dollars on a 22 million dollar building. All we could say is never in my life have I ever seen God do anything like this. And don't be at the back watching it happen. Get involved so you can be part of something so that when your grandchildren say to you one day, were you there when God did this? You can say, I was there and this is how he used me. I remember I shared this. It was last summer. We were walking in downtown Montreal and, and uh, Jewel was walking beside me. Jewel loves cities and she was just mesmerized by the city and and Jewel said to me, we were walking by people that were homeless and struggling, and she said to me, Dad, she said, how do we help these people? How do we do this? And I, and I was like, um, honey, like, I, don't, I can't do this in Montreal right now, but this is what happened in Hamilton. I said, I said three things to her. I said, the housing that went up in Hamilton, God did this. O only God did this. And we did this. Together, God used us to do this. I don't know if you remember this or not. Then I looked, no, she's saying no, it happened. And then I looked right down at you and said, and we did this. And, and she said, what do you mean we did this? I said, our family sacrificed. God did this, we did this, and you and I did this, honey. With your mom and the others. We sacrificed so that we could be part of it. And as they grow, one day when they're older, I want to continually tell them the stories of what God did and what we did and what our family did. And I want them to know they were a part of it and that God used them in that. I know there are seasons of this. In this last season, Amy and I have walked with family members who've battled with mental health issues and struggled. And so there are times that you can do less and times when you can do more. I'm not saying there aren't seasons where you can pitch in more and seasons where you can pitch in less. I'm just saying when you look for church, two of the things that should be top of your list is can I grow here? And can I serve here? Can I grow here? And can I serve here? Romans 12 talks about doing this with each other. It says this, be devoted to one another in love, honor each other above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's just part of the service. Like it's not only serving the people around us, it's serving each other. It's coming alongside of each other in times of need. It's the elders anointing people with oil and praying with them. We've done that numbers of times, even through the pandemic. It's coming alongside of each other. It's meals being made. It's childcare being offered. It's people caring for each other. It's celebrating when someone's celebrating. Like if, if you're celebrating when someone's mourning, there's something wrong with your heart. Because you should rejoice when they're rejoicing. You should mourn when they're mourning. And we do it together. Do you know that one another is be devoted to one another in love? Honor one another above each other. There's all these one another's all through scripture. And then the other things here. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Jesse, you guys can come up. So as we think through this year, I, I could walk back to that video and say, hey, we need all these people to serve in all these places. I mean, Sunday mornings, we need 150 people to volunteer just on Sundays in a three-week rotating basis to make children's ministry, what happens on the stage, what happens all through the facility just occur. We need 150 people every three weeks. That's a lot of us. That's probably just over a third of the, of the people sitting here in this room and in the overflow right now. That's like if you look at the person beside you and the other person beside you, two of you, that's one of the three of you have to do that to make Sundays work. And that's just Sundays. That doesn't include the plethora of stuff God has us doing all through the week. We, we long to really ramp up this year what it means to care for the people in this building. We haven't been able to do a lot of that through COVID. What does it mean to really love on them? We're, we're the chaplains of the building here. What does that look like? But as you think through where God has you this year, where can you best grow? Where are you going to be with other believers growing in fellowship under good Bible teaching growing? And where can you best serve? Where can you best pitch in? And what does that look like? And my prayer is that God would use you in that. And at the season we just passed through, will pale in comparison to the season God has in front of us. That the season just got us through. I'm praying that one day Paul and I aren't saying, that was the best season of this church's history. I'm thankful that God just brought us through this incredible season, but I'm praying that there'll be a season, maybe in the next year, maybe five years from now, that we'll all be looking at and say, wow, we thought the Spirit of God showed up kind of between 2019 and 2022. He did. But what he's done now makes that look like nothing compared to what he's doing in this moment. Our prayer is that God will just continue to do amazing things as we grow and serve together. Would you pray with me? We're thankful that you are our God. We're thankful that your love for us is immense. We're thankful, Jesus, and celebrate that you came to save and God, we confess that even in our salvation, it's so easy, so easy to be distracted. Distracted by our whole narcissistic culture that says it's all about us, or our materialistic culture that talks about we have to have bigger and better, or our consumeristic culture that says it's all about me and my rights and my needs. Jesus, help us each to take up our cross to follow you. Help us to be an attitude like that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but rather took the form of human likeness and became a servant. May we be like you, Lord Jesus.
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.